Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, good morning. Welcome to the war. Hey, let's pray. Let's talk to God. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can talk to you and that you do hear us. You listen. You're connected. You care about us, Lord God. And I pray today that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand, to be transformed, to be converted, to be brought into the fullness of the revelation of your love for us and the intensity uh, of this war, the stakes that what's going on here, Lord God, is life and death for eternity. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd encourage and inspire us, anoint us to um, ask you to help us to make the commitments, um, to pay the price, to walk uh, faithful and worthy and committed to you, to throw off the old hidden works of darkness, the um, lethargy, the apathy, the stupor that Satan's tried to put on us, Lord God. I pray that your sword would separate that from us this day. We thank you for the power of your salvation. We thank you for the power of your word to keep us. Lord God, it is a shelter for us in this very grievous time of a storm. And I thank you, Lord God, for the, the final promises that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken would be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach that you cover us and our families, all that pertains to us, those who love you, Lord God, that we'd all be covered with a diligent um, heart to pursue you no matter what the cost, to know that you've already paid the price and we've made it and we are more than conquerors. Cause us to want to be heroes, Lord God, true heroes, not uh, in the world of virtual reality, but in the really the real world of God. And so I thank you, Lord, for giving us now your understanding, your revelation, your encouragement, your inspiration. Amen. Hey, we've got an interesting topic today. By the way, the roving host is back. Yes, I am no longer roving. I'm here. Yeah, here and there and everywhere and in and out and gone and whatever. Lukewarm and getting by. This sounds like a kind of a, uh, you know, an interesting title, let's put it that way. People who have tried to, um, you know, stay in a place of non-committed, uncommitted, unconverted, Christianity or lukewarmness, trying to avoid, deny, you know, walking with God, but not walking with God at the same time, you know? Well, it's, it's a, it's a state that literally (laughs) it it makes God sick, literally. And he says, you think of uh, Marjorie, the uh, revelation three fourteen through 16 and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Right, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So, most people don't. They like their ice cream cold and their coffee hot. Well, God likes. And God, God says. You, you're actually making me sick. The word spew there that's used in the King James means vomit. Mm. So he says, he says, you guys mm-hmm. are in a state that makes me want to, makes me want to puke. 
Well, you know, uh, speaking of that state that we're in, we're kind of uh, moving into the end times, if not already there. We're here. And Jesus made a few comments that are very interesting back when he was on the earth regarding the end times. I remember one of the things he says, when the Son of Man comes back, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he really find anybody who's really dug in, uh, committed to his word and keeping the principles of love and truth and peace. That was one thing he had asked. Would he find any faith on the earth? And then he said, another thing he said that was, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And as we've talked over and over on the show, we, we talk to people who are struggling, uh, persecuted for righteousness sake, um, beaten for their faith, uh, believing God, you know, continuing to go before the court of heaven and petition their case and whatnot. But I think there's another whole segment of people that have been put to sleep. They're not even fighting the good fight of faith. They're kind of like stuck in a stupor, in a a virtual reality, a mesmerizing kind of surreal kind of thing. I I think after 911, people use that word a lot. Surreal. It's surreal. It's like it's not even real. It's not even like we're really here doing this. This is like a very bad dream. And a lot of people live their life like that. You think of um, how many people like just live their their real action dreams adventures at a movie theater, and they got no skin in the game except their seven bucks and their you know uh, money they put up for their popcorn. They sit there. There's no blood on them when they leave. They didn't really fight a good fight of anything, but they got the adrenaline going and they got the the the, the satisfaction of being on the winning team by just sitting in their seat. Same with our sports events and whatnot. But this is not living engaged in real life. You know, what do you say? This is escape from real life. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we look to, you know, we want our heroes vicariously and we identify with, uh, you know, LeBron James, who is the, the big star of the uh, NBA championship uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. And, and, you know, you see all the kids that wear the shirts and, and, and uh, wear the shoes, wear the, wear the shirts and wear the shoes. And that's it in, in our lives. We, we want to wear the shirts, wear the shoes, identify with these heroes, whether mm-hmm. they're on sports or on the movie screen, but we don't want to pay the price. We don't want to do what it takes to be a true hero. Well, yeah. And I think that I'm not even so sure we can say that we don't want to do it. I I almost think we don't even know it. People don't even know that there is this dimension of living in Christ. They don't even know it's there. They haven't seen it modeled. They haven't been, uh, I hate to use the word, but they haven't been uh, called to it. I don't like the word challenged. It's an overused word. Mm -hmm. But they haven't really been called to task, in a sense, to to be a a true soldier of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, Jesus had the same problem in, in his day when he was talking with, well, actually, even before that, of course, he talked about Isaiah and various ones who, um, I got to read this, Jeremiah was an interesting verse. Uh, it kind of sets, you know, the, state, the stage has been set since the Old Testament. Uh, Jeremiah, he says, because my people have forgotten me, they have, uh, this is Jeremiah eighteen fifteen, because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols. And they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths and not in, on, a, on a highway. And Jonah says in 2, eight, 
those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Mm. That's a quite a both deep, profound statement for Jonah, the guy who was running from the will of God. But, you know, worthless idols, I think, are we're consumed. And we don't even recognize them as idols. We don't recognize, like you were talking to me this morning, that comfort is an idol. The pursuit of our comforts, the pursuit of our our appetites, the pursuit of our stomachs, our bellies, what we want uh, to eat, to, to do today, what we're, we're wanting to watch today, uh, what we're wanting to experience today. I think our experiences can also become an idol uh, in pursuit of these kinds of, you know, it's all about me, me, me kind of thing. Yeah, it's a very, we live in a very uh, narcissistic uh, culture. Um, it's about me and it's about taking control of doing things for me. And obviously, We've been the Bible seen. says that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. But uh, then this whole area of, say, comfort. Now, mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. the old preachers used to say, God likes to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. <laughs> and and so many times we, we confuse uh, comfort with security and even with godliness. And here's a, a, what a guy uh, mentioned. His, guy, his name is Craig Cook, wrote a book uh, recently called Places of Refuge. Uh, the subtitle is Mercy in the Coming Storm. He says, when I begin to emotionally trust and depend on comfort, subtly equating it with safety and security, I enter dangerous territory. I begin making decisions based primarily on whatever will perpetuate my comfort while avoiding those things that will disrupt my comfort, regardless of the will of God. Now, he talks about um, uh, the uncomfortableness. Mm-hmm. And it's usually, and that's, that's kind of like a sort of a, a mamby-pamby word, because a lot of times people don't really come to Christ, for the most part, unless there's some crisis. They realize that there's there's nothing more they can do. They're running out of options. They're they're up against the wall and they're they're desperate. It's too bad that we have to get to that point of just extreme desperation and crashing in our lives before we call out to the Lord. But better late than never. Yes. But he says um, one of the things too, along with that, that that lull us into comfort and uh, lukewarmness and, and and this slumber and this stupor that you're talking about. He says, uh, we are so entrenched in the idolatry of a culture predicated on lies that our own expectations of reality are. I agree. And so what happens is uh, we do not even recognize our need for a commitment to God. And we we have lost something that we never knew we had or never been taught to know existed. And that is that dimension where the value of eternal things is taught. I mean. Think about the brainwashing and programming that's gone on in the 60s, the 70s, uh, the 80s, the 90s, until we're now in the place where we have been culturized, programmed, stupefied, shut down, sedated, uh, dumbed down until we don't even know what to ask for anymore. We, I mean, I mean, this, our generation is probably the last generation that had any real teaching, any real substance, any real understanding of the uh, heaven and hell concepts, the alternatives. Um, this every generation after us has been taught to want what they want, go after what they want. You can have it if you work hard enough. And now this generation is not. You can have it if you work hard enough. This generation is. You owe it to me. You give it to me now, or I'm going to bully you with whatever my rights I perceive them to be. And so the thing is, we've kind of de- evolved, devolved into this 
very dangerous society. But you know, in our definitions, how can we ask for? How can the kids? How can the thirty somethings, the forty somethings? How can they ask for something that they don't even know exists? How can they want something out there in the spiritual world that they've never been even exposed to? We have to. We're called as a church now to introduce people to the old paths. Like yeah. it says in Jeremiah, I think it's 616, the old paths were in the, is the right way. To do that, it's, it's, it's such a shock that a lot of people, when you inter- try, attempt to introduce them mm-hmm. to that way of life and living and mm-hmm. godliness, it's such a, a shock to them. It's something that they uh, have such a difficulty even, can't relate they can't to it really because they have it. no... They have no experiential base or desire for that or desire for it. Mm -hmm. And when you bring it to them, they'll just kind of turn and walk away and say, that's not for me. Well, they don't even know. I mean, it's like little kids these days. You know, would you like a cherry? Would you like a blueberry? Oh, no, I don't like blueberries. I don't like cherries. Have you ever eaten one? No, I've never tasted one. I just know I don't like them. Why? Because they don't look like Fruit Loops or something. You know, I mean, it's the kids. They already made a complete decision about something they have not even tested. And I think the same is true with these young 30-somethings, 40-somethings. It's like this. Love is like, um, you know, love is not, a, you know, we, we our definitions are, the enemy has redefined everything, including love, um, life, family, everything's been redefined. And love is not an erotic, passionate pursuit of some sexual pleasure like we have been taught and shown and displayed it to be, uh, as the devil has built it to be. But it is a real powerful, steadfast commitment to know and, pers- and pursue the well-being of another. This is work. This is not easy. This is not fun. This is work. This is sacrifice. This is commitment. These kinds of words, sacrifice, commitment, um, maybe it's just because the 30-somethings are still just 30 something. Maybe the 40-somethings will mature into this when they get to be 70 or 80. But at the rate we're going, most of the 40-somethings will never see 70 or 80 these days because of the way our environment is. So we, we, we want to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Now, let's just go back for a second to the Lord's word himself in, in Mark chapter um, 7. He has some pretty harsh words. You know, he used the word hypocrite quite freely. And that was a word, I think, that would at the time describe well the mixing, uh, the dumbing down, the, the nullification of the validity of God's word and the truth and the power and the, and the criticalness of this war, uh, making it all about lip service, he says in chapter 7 of Mark, verse 6. And he answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. Now, this is not a soft God who's just trying to make everybody happy, make everything go nice, sound nice, and you're fine. He says, this people honors me with their lips. He's standing there talking to a bunch of a group of people, including Pharisees. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. In the Old Testament, they went so far as to worship Baal and in the temple of God. I mean, they called on God and they worshiped sacrifices to demons. And, you know, God was saying, this ain't working for me. <laughs> it's not working for you but these people honors me with, oh, yes, God, yes, God, we love you, God, we love you, God. Oh, yes, well, whatever, whatever. And they were not, you know, really carrying through. They weren't coming through with what they had said. They were lying. Yeah, well, you see what was described as what's called, the word for it is called syncretism, 
in other places, just to amplify what you're saying, Marjorie, is that it's uh, in one place in the scripture, it says that they serve, they feared the Lord and then they worshiped the gods of the people. Yeah. And, and yeah. so there was a, a, a respect for God, mm-hmm. but yet in their practical operation, mm-hmm. they were serving the, well, the gods of the nations. Because they believed that the gods of the nations were responsible for their prosperity, as in Jeremiah chapters, I think it's 7 and 44, where he was talking to them, scolding them about offering these raisin cakes to the queen of heaven. They were baking these offerings. The, the men would gather the sticks or light the fires. The children would gather the sticks. The women would bake the bread. And they'd offer these things to the queen of heaven, which were like the gods and goddesses like Ashtaroth and whatever. And so and, um, Jeremiah says, you need to stop doing that or calamity is going to come upon you. And they responded to him, we will not stop. Because when we stopped doing this, offering these cakes to the queens of heaven, the queen of heaven, all the calamity started. And now that since we've offered them again, prosperity has returned. And so the very, the very uh, uh, amniotic state, no, not amniotic, we're in a, a place of amnesia, mm-hmm. where the, um, the, the, the prosperity of our tables, the, the abundance of our entertainments, um, that our freedom to spend money and go here and there and do whatever has seduced us or deceived us into, into thinking we have the blessing of God, you know, and, and we don't at this point, the, the the people are crying out, where has America gone? What's gone? What's happened to America? Where, you know, what can we do to get America back? Well, there's only one thing you can do to get America back at that is if America was ever here in the first place. And that is to repent and come before the Lord God. Like Jesus said here, Back in Mark, he says, okay, so you speak, you give me lip service, but what are you really doing? He says, you lay aside the commandment of God. What is the commandment of God? Not the Ten Commandments necessarily. It's the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's pretty much every part of you and your neighbor as yourself. He says, you lay a hold, you lay aside the commandments of God, and you lay a hold of the traditions of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things. You do. So in other words, we substituted all these little minuscule, pointless activities like washing uh, traditions of men, cups and pictures and programs and, and, and um, uh, bulletins and uh, vestments and all of this stuff. We've done all that, but we've not really truly committed our hearts to the Lord. He says, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. He's really scolding them for their lukewarmness here, for their lip service, which is basically going to bring them into the place of um, at the end of their life where we must give an account of our life. Each one must. I don't care how much you've lived in, in a group mentality, how much you've, you've sought your friends as counsel or how much you've, you've stuck with your, you know, your system society. Each one individually will give an account to God someday. That's it. And, and following Jesus Christ on this earth at this time is the absolute most radical thing you can do. It is the most radical commitment to truth. And um, it requires conversion and commitment. It cannot be done with lip service. It cannot be done with, Oh yeah, yeah. Right. God, right. God. Okay. God, whatever you say, God. See, we see a lot of, you know, hate groups, demonically inspired hate groups, ISIS, black lives matter, groups like this that are, that have an, a sort of a radical, Commitment agenda, agenda. Mm-hmm. but they're 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 satanically inspired, 
but they're 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 more devoted to their uh, false, violent, well, reprobate cause than what we are to the truth. Well, for the most part. Yeah, and I but the thing is, of course, none of them, absolutely none of them, have dug deep enough to realize that this is a satanic origin they're at being all. Duped. They are they're believing. It's because I love my brother. It's because I want fairness, equality, this, that, that I'm willing to. I want, I want equal justice for, the, for this group as opposed to any other group. Everybody's got to be fair and treated fair and tolerated except those who stand for Jesus Christ. And that is because Jesus Christ doesn't stand for all this other stuff. And they want everybody to accept everything and love everybody that way, that their definition of love is you tolerate me, I tolerate you, I won't bug you, you don't bug me. If you want to come play with me, that's fine, but don't tell me what to do. Right. You, you, if you don't, you disagree with me, I'll cut your head off or I'll shoot you. Well, we get to that point eventually. We get to that point, But, yeah. but the, the, first, the first invitations are to you know, get along. But the thing is, Jesus Christ says, if it's not of me, it's not any, it's don't get along with it. Don't, don't go along with whatever is not the truth. And too, too much. We've been easily, you know, I mean, I think church has felt the great commission uh, was to fit in, was to fit in with wherever Satan would give us a place in society to be loved and accepted and um, uh, accepted as, as having, um, mental health and being accepted as being okay. Um, you know, just whatever the devil would let us have as an acceptance rather than getting our acceptance from God. And so the thing that has happened is the church has sold a compromised, the gospel of Jesus, the gallant, uh, radical words of Jesus who went to the cross. I mean, he says, this is no small thing. And when Peter says, oh, no, 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 we don't need to go that far, uh, Mark eight thirty three, <laughs> Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. He said this to his best buddy, Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. In other words, you don't got it right in your head. Thinking straight, Peter. You, you think you've got this figured out. You're using your soul software to figure out what the will of God is. And the will of God is that I got to go to the cross. This is serious. This is serious enough for me to have to die a bloody death, give every drop of my blood to pay the debt that Satan is demanding of you guys. Do you get that? And Peter wasn't getting that at all. And so Jesus rebuked the demon that was in him that was trying to mislead him. It's very interesting that right after this, he said, you know, the things... Get thee behind me, Satan. Mm-hmm. Thou art an, an offense to me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the, those that be of men. It's Peter's challenging Jesus for wanting to go to the cross. And then right after that, he, he says to his disciples, verse 24 of, of Matthew 16, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. For whoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, 
and then he shall reward every man to his works. So he's saying here, this is, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to follow me, you're, you're going to have to go the way of the cross. You're going to have mm-hmm. to go the way of not trying to preserve your life, not seeking to live a right. life of comfort and ease and, and just lukewarmness, uh, religious uh, conformity, pretentious. religious pretentiousness. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned hypocrite earlier. Hypocrite means, you know, actors back in those days were called hypocrites. Mm-hmm. because they put on masks. They pretended they were something, someone they were not. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. He says, so Jesus strips this all away. says, listen. We've just removed the mask. And, he, and he's <laughs> tough. He's tough here, but he's tough in, in, in love. Right. And, and, and he's saying, you have to come. If you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me. You try to save your life, try to preserve yourself, right. keep everything nice and comfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose what you have. Mm-hmm. And, but if you just give, up, give mm-hmm. up that, trust me, follow me, even through, through the hardest kinds of things that you're going to face, you're going to save your life yes. and you're going to be blessed and you're going to be rewarded by me. Someday. Well, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I think we, uh, the world system is always get it, grab it, got it, keep it. You know, and God says, give it away, let go. I've got it. I'll take care of you. So when he says he who seeks to save or desires to save his life will lose it, he also talks about this in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Um, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Um, we don't, you know, realize that the bottom line of our salvation, the cost of our, is, 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 and the cost of discipleship really is, what are you willing to give in exchange for your soul? What are you willing to give to follow Jesus? We do say, yes, Lord, yes, I believe you died on the cross. Yes, you did it for me, but that's nice. And now that I've done that, I can go live my own life the way I want to. That is not, that is not what he's saying here. What he's saying is once you've made that commitment to believe him, there is also a cost. There's a, we have to, it costs us everything we have and then some more than we can pay. So God has to pay it for us, keep us strong enough to commit and follow through and keep the promises we've made to him. So the cost of your, what's your, what's your soul worth? Is it worth, um, you know, a million dollars? Is it worth you? Like he said, what's your soul? Is it worth your hand, your eye? He says, if your eye offends you, if your hand offends you, cut it off. He is not saying to cut off your hand. He is not literally saying that, you know, if you steal, then cut off your hand and you won't steal anymore because you can still steal in your heart. You can pluck out your eyes and still commit adultery in your heart, you know, in the eyes of your heart. He's not saying remove your eyeball, but he says that it's that serious. He says what you're doing and what you're permitting and what you're allowing by not cutting it off, not you, you keep playing with the devil. You keep messing with the snake. You see, keep trying to make a deal with the devil here and there. And every time you do, especially if you're a believer, you make some deal with the devil, you've got some outstanding agreements with him, he will take you to the bank and clean your account. He will do that every time. That's why God says, don't make any deals with the devil. Give, you know, let's sell out completely to me. Trust me, abide, stop doing and start being. And um, this is the cost of deception. This is scary, though, because people want to be in control. They want to call the shots. They want to know uh, manage a schedule, a set goals, uh, manipulate circumstances, flatter, bribe, bully, whatever they have to do 
to preserve their life. And this is all contrary. This is all breaking the commandments of love, truth, and peace. I remember, and Margie, you do too, several years ago, we went down to the street down in Hennepin Avenue, downtown Minneapolis. We did uh, just some uh, video kind of surveys, interviews. Mm-hmm. And we asked yep. questions and said, what, um, what, is, what was the question? Something about what your, is life? What is life? What's your goal in life? What do you feel is the most important thing, you know, that you are doing? And the most important and the most interesting thing I learned from that whole interview, and we must have asked 80 to 100 people. And and this is a great cross-section of people. Right. From senior citizens, all races, all ages, all What is life? What is life, by the way? What is life? They could not answer the question. They could not. They stumbled. Every one of them stumbled. Not one said anything like, well, life is a gift or life is, is a, a gift from God or life is what is life is a question. Not one of them was prepared to answer. But then when we changed, we had to dumb it down a little bit. And we said, well, then what is the most important thing in your life? Then a lot of them came up with things like family. And uh, speaking of what is life, do, I wonder if we have a, we have a commercial, a little we do have a video. Actually, if you ever want to catch that about a 55 minute video examining the origins of life talking about evolution versus creation and a very interesting documentary. Never seen anything done like this before. So it's, um, here goes. What is life? Where does it come from? Where does it end? Is it merely a sequence of random events thrown together? Is it of any significance or is it just there a dash between two dates carved on a cemetery stone? Does it count? Does it last? What's it worth? Does it matter? Is evolution a plausible explanation for the existence of man? Does the Genesis record give us an accurate account of the origin of man? Or are there other valid arguments that can explain the origin of human life? Were we planned from the foundation of the world Or were we an accident, an amoeba emerging out of primordial slime? And what is the ultimate significance of a life born by accident or of no one being there? If we are nothing but the result of random chance and fortunate mutations to the nth power, who cares? And if we are of no significance in our birth, then life is of little value and to die is the same as to live. life what is life well if we can't answer that question then it's going to be pretty scary as to where we end up at that end of that life tell tell the folks how they can uh, get a copy of what is life oh well you can go to liferecovery.com as a matter of fact we've got a lot of stuff on liferecovery.com which is our website which is a good place to find a whole lot of teaching training um and we also have a phone number for you 347-215-8051 if you want to talk to us um, we would love to talk to you. Uh, yeah, that would be the number for the this show. This show. If you have you to want, call in you, right if now. If you have a question yeah. or comment, uh, that's not the life recovery number, but if you no. call 347-215-8051 with a question or comment, that would mm-hmm. be great. 
So, so yeah. So that, you know, the thing is people are looking kind of searching for stuff, I think, but they don't recognize it as a search. They, they think of it more, they're kind of led more by their carnal appetites uh, at this point, because they're, they're living in a carnal dimension. They're living in a soul dimension in a biological, physiological dimension, because they've been trained to stay there. We are not hooking into a spiritual dimension. And in that carnal dimension, I, I really believe we've been programmed to become consumers. You know, um, we're really inoculated against catching the real uh, virus of life. If you are living, um, living it with an int- with an intention, we don't live life intentionally. We live life as like, uh, okay, well, let's just go see what's going to happen today and um, whatever. And you know, we're, we're not intentional uh, in what we do. Although sometimes in our carnal worlds. We're very intentional. However, in our spiritual world, it's kind of whatever, whatever. And I believe our exposure to the church, what the church has done, what Satan has done, actually, through the gospel that he has, the counterfeit gospels that he has produced, uh, that mimic in some ways the gospel of Jesus Christ, but do not bring forth the fruit of that gospel. Uh, He has really uh, vaccinated us against catching the real thing, the real intense purposes, passion, love, uh, of God and walking in the spirit, walking in a spirit, that dimension is totally different than walking in the soul or in the, the natural. And like I just said, as it's teaching us to eat and consume, we have lost our, ide- our identity as conquerors. The Lord God has called us to be warriors, soldiers, more than conquerors. And we've kind of sat down at the table and are, you know, stuffing ourselves, feasting um, on all sorts of lies everything from like the food we eat to the country we live in, to the gospel we hear preached to us. And we don't resist it. We don't stand up. I think, you know, we say people stand up, take a stand. People, uh, you know, say, just say no, whatever, whatever. But they don't know what to say. They don't know how to do that because they don't, there isn't, it isn't in them to take a stand because they don't know what that even is or means. Well, one of the things that, uh, was very frustrating to me, uh, uh, in in the past, as in in the uh, pastoring churches in the suburbs, is what I called the consumer mentality, and mm-hmm. I call it the consumer the the suburban shuffle, because mm-hmm. people would shuffle from one church to another. It's just like restaurants; you get tired of one restaurant, you go to another, and it's like you know what's in it for me. This is this one. Well, we really like the worship service here. Uh, we really like the pastor here, and then we get kind of tired of him. And so there's always there's always, you know, probably 1,500 other options uh-huh. for you to go and just be there. Entertained. And, and be, to be entertained, be, be comforted a little, uh, have a little something for the kids, and, uh, you know, maybe have a few fun social times. And uh, we, we don't really go beyond that. And a lot of times the uh, pastors calling people to that because – we're living in a time where you, you call people to task. You call people to commitment. deny themselves commitment, take up the cross and follow me. Not just commitment to running, be having a part, a, being a cog in a big religious machine, but to really follow Christ and what it means and stirring people that way. A lot of people, when they get a message like that, they say, we're out of here. That's right. That, too hard. That's, that's too hard. That's mm-hmm. too much. We're not going to put up with that. We're going to leave. So a lot of pastors soft pedal the gospel mm-hmm. 
because they need they need those tithers. Mm-hmm. They've got to pay for that big expensive building that they mm-hmm. just built. Mm-hmm. They got to keep every. The, the goal is to kind of keep everybody happy. Oh my! And it doesn't work. You try to keep everybody happy, nobody really gets to be happy. Uh-huh. You know, Especially and you you really really compromise. And so, uh, and other, all that hard work is not even. It has no point. It's not even part of. If you're going to put that much effort into something, make sure you're in the right thing. You're sitting on some, on real. If you're a hen, you want to sit on eggs, not doorknobs. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. You can't be hatching out doorknobs. Don't expect you put your efforts into building this big spiritual machine. And God says, it's an offense to me. Wood, hay, and stubble. Ooh, that's the end of that. Well, you mentioned earlier about the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And many people have said, well, it's, it's the great omission in our day. Because we, again, the consumer mentality, we want to keep in our own little group, right. keep ourselves sheltered Safe. rather mm-hmm. than going into the, wanna... the down and dirty places in this world to, right. to be light and salt to bring the gospel there. Well, we want to feel good and, um, and in, we want to feel good in our do good religion. And that is not what God said. He didn't say go out there and, and be good. He said, you are good. Now go tell people about the good news. And the good news is you can be free from condemnation and anxiety and fear and accusation and torment. You can understand um, the, the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give us, the abundant life he died to give us. You, we can have that. It's not an automatic, just once you get saved, it all drops on you. It's pursuing righteousness and truth it's not you know uh it's throwing off the hidden works of darkness it's being transformed by the renewing of your mind it's really the only way you can get this is there is no program out there there is no magic bullet magic pill you can take no no disciplined lifestyle no secluded commune somewhere you can join it's it's simply living your personal life in the presence of God. And that means in the secret place, in your own prayer time, in the word. The word of God actually is the best shelter in this world that there ever could be. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you live inside of the word of God. You get inside of there. You read it for yourself. Don't wait to eat one meal a week at the, at the pastor's table. You eat now. Read it every day. Don't chew on little devotionals. I mean, that's like eating Cheetos. You need a full deal. You need a meal that's prepared by God, the feast for your soul. And even if that, you say, well, I don't have any time. I'm too exhausted, blah, blah, blah. You know, well, what is your time worth? And what are you spending your time on? And what can you take out of there that's not that profitable? Because even if you spend four minutes, four minutes, set your timer on your clock, on your phone, four minutes talking truly to God, just straight at him, you know, like not the rote, memorized prayers, but just talk to him. God, this is going on. I can't do this. This is too hard. This is crazy. I don't know where to go from here. Lord, I need your wisdom. Start talking to God and Jesus, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who's dwelling in you. He is going to start responding to you and give you wisdom, guys. And then you're going to like that. You're going to say, oh, wow, that feels great. That feels good. I want to do that again. And eventually walking in the spirit becomes more fun to us than any other way of living. There's no other way. Everything else then becomes truly what it is, and that is worthless. And uh, uh, truly, it's not even worth your time. 
um, you know, to, to pursue the things that men pursue because you're going to pursue the things of God, which are the only things that are worthy of our pursuit. I want to just share a little bit about uh, a gentleman uh, of yesteryear named C.T. Studd, who lived from 1862 to 1931. He was a famous, uh, very, he came from a very wealthy family. He was like a star athlete. He was kind of like, um, you know, the star athlete of his day. Uh, and um, he left uh, the fame and the fortune to follow Jesus Christ. And he began to go to minister in the most remote, unevangelized areas of, of Africa. He was kind of the LeBron James, for those of you who are into basketball, the LeBron James or the Steph Curry of his day, uh, only in the sport of cricket, which is huge over in England. He was from you know Great Britain. But he wrote a, a, a message in a book that I would recommend everybody to get a hold of. It's, it's actually probably out of print. You'd have to go to places like um, the... Uh, I bet or, you can get online. You, you can might, get you might online. probably, I guess, get everything online these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but if you want a hard copy, you'd have to go to the Christian Literature Crusade or something. It's called The Chocolate Soldier. And he... And it's it's just it's just powerful to read. He talks about there are those who are we would call um, to use the word wimpy Christians, uh, chocolate that that melt when it gets a little too hot for them. They just melt away. Mm-hmm. They their their lack of commitment. They're not solid. They just they're just melty melty Christians. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just challenges that and rebukes that, and then talks about in the Bible those that were true soldiers, true heroes of, for, for, for God, and those that were chocolate mm. soldiers. And one of the things that he talks about here, and uh, he says, in peace, true soldiers are captive lions fretting in their cages. War gives them their liberty and sends them like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or perish in the attempt. Battle is the soldier's vital breath. Peace turns him into a stooping asthmatic. War makes him a whole man again and gives him the heart, strength, and vigor of a hero. He says, every true Christian is a soldier of Christ, a hero par excellence, braver than the bravest, scoring the soft seductions of peace and her oft-repeated warnings against hardship, disease, danger, and death, whom he counts among his bosom friends. And he talks about the, uh, you know, the, the, the softies. Uh, and uh, he talks about basically the people that really walk with God, even though that um, the, the ones that didn't melt. Uh, he talks about uh, Noah, and, and he talks about how he, uh, he breasted the current of, of popular opinion of his day, scorning alike the hatred and ridicule of the scoffers, who mocked at the thought of there being but one way of salvation. I'm referring to the ark at that time. Mm-hmm. He warned the unbelieving and entered the ark himself, didn't open the door an inch when God had shut it. A real hero is untainted by the fear of man. And so yeah. he talks about basically spiritual warfare um, and, and uh, just yeah. full devotion is, is really... The uh, 
He says, what stirs ordinary men's blood and turns them into heroes make most Christians run like a flock of frightened sheep. Mm-hmm. The militants daily risk their lives in furtherance of their cause and subscribe of their means in a way that cried shame on us Christians who generally brand the braving of risks and fighting against odds as tempting God. So there are people that say, you know, uh, he says, no conquest is made in assured safety and conquest for Christ certainly cannot so be made. And so sometimes we, he said, we substitute prayer for the playing of the game. He talks about the importance of prayer. That's something you can pray, 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 but then what about there has to be obedient action well, that goes I, with that. And I think, you know, everything that God has called us to do, Satan can wear us out doing it as well. Um, and, you know, the heart of a warrior, I think that's what we need to cry out to God to restore to the people, the heart of a warrior, people who will be willing to take a stand to die for what's the truth, uh, for die, to die truly for the cause of the Most High God, because to live is to die, to die is gain. Um, and it, because we are already dead, we are reckon the old man dead because we have already died with Christ. Uh, so we're, we don't have to worry about, you know, that what we really need to worry about is giving an account of ourselves to God and what we did with the time that we were given. It's interesting going back to, um, the problem Jeremiah was having with convincing the people that they needed to take a stand and get going was that their prosperity was in the way, their full tables, their blessings that were temporary, but enough to keep them serving the idols and making the raisin cakes to the queens of heaven. And you notice that there's, a, there's two different situations that can arise in the spiritual war. One is called persecution and one is called prosperity. In America right now, we're kind of switching over, I think, and it's going to become one of persecution. And we're kind of like, you know, pulling back and saying, oh, no, I don't know. What's this mean? What's it, how is this going to change my life? Blah, blah, blah. But in other countries where persecution is the order of the day, and they know that they're not seduced and sedated by prosperity. They are um, like lean, mean fighting machines for the kingdom and the cause of God. They have awakened. They've woken up. And I think for us, we're going to have to wake up and then stand up. The grave danger of losing everything, uh, including our salvations. Most of the things down here cannot be saved. Um, but that's not important because most of the things are needing to be saved. What needs to be saved is the souls of men. And persecution in the United States right now would be a, a, a wonderful blessing to us. It'd be a wonderful blessing to the church. Why? Because Paul's told Timothy he says, all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer. will suffer persecution. Not might suffer, but will suffer persecution. So we don't have a lot of persecution because we're not really living godly in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we're, we have some kind of a, um, a, a wish, a death wish or, or something like that, a uh, masochistic kind of thing. But oh, it's, it's not that we're evil either. It's not that we're uh, God's people are not evil just because they're sleeping. God's people are not, you know, uh, horrible because they're living in some sort of blessing. We, we thank God for the blessings. We're not saying that. But at the same time, that that is keeping people from recognizing their need and desperate need. And you won't get that awareness, I don't believe, until you spend time with God. And it doesn't come from looking at all the news and reviewing all the terrible, deadly, horrible events that happen every day now. You know, there's a new one every day. 
Most people I talk to are stop. They've stopped listening to the news. They don't want to hear it. They put their hands over their ears. And, I, you know, I guess that's okay. You don't have to, you know, it does, the Bible says uh, meditate, think on whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, and of good report. So the, for the people who are, we're talking to today, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, the 50-somethings, you're caught in something, whether you're caught in trying to make a living, you're caught in trying to get along with your wife or your husband or there's, um, you know, or you're con- contemplating you're going to have to divorce that person or you're, or you're crying out at night and, to God because your child is very wayward and they don't, they don't talk to you and uh, there's bitterness. You know, really, the war we're talking about is a war of dying and forgiving and blessing, receiving, loving. It's all those crazy, courageous things that people are scared to death to do. You know, like to say, I'm sorry, or to say, I forgive you, or to say, will you forgive me? Or to say, um, I made a mistake or I was wrong. It seems like this is terrifying to most people. On the other hand, you always have the other hand, you know. There are people who say everything is wrong. They can't do anything right. They're stupid. They're guilty. They're gullible. And and they're never going to make it because they're no good. I mean, you've got both sides. The people who have to be right in order to be righteous, by the way, there's no equation between righteousness and being right. I'm righteous because of the righteous blood of Jesus Christ that's been shed for me, that has covered me. Uh, I can be right, I can be wrong, and I can still be righteous at the same time. Because God permits people to make mistakes. He permits us to believe things to, for the point of bringing us to the truth. Um, and, and with Peter, too, Jesus said, remember when I, we talked about it earlier, um, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Then he told Peter a little later, he says, you know, got to tell you, Satan desired to have you to sift you as wheat. He came and petitioned the high court. My father's permission to, to get to sift you as wheat because he really doesn't believe you're going to stand. I know we picked you. I sought the Lord. You're top man on the list. Um, but but Satan's contesting my pick. He says, I don't believe, Satan, Satan does not believe that you're going to be able to uh, make a good leader in this, uh, uh, you know, company of, of apostles. And so uh, he says he's desired to have you to sift you as wheat, and the Father's permitted it. Now you say, well, why? Well, because that's the way it is. If you're going to be a green beret, you're going to have to be tested. And the devil's always the, you know, the accuser of the brethren. He's the antagonist. And so Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. And when you are converted. So there was a problem. It, there was a problem. He was not yet converted. He was not yet um, truly, totally understanding the whole purpose of the cross and Calvary and death and resurrection, and salvation, eternal life. He was not really comprehending that yet. Peter was just kind of in it for the short term. Um, let's be king over here in Rome and fix it that way. But that didn't happen. And, and the same with Moses. He didn't get to be king in Egypt and fix it that way. He had to go through a whole, the, wrong, the back way around the desert. So, again, we, we see how God is calling each one of us to wake up. Uh, and it's very interesting, too, if I can go with you for a second to the Gospel of John. I was reading this the other day, and, and, and God is um, talking about the initial conditions Remember, we've talked about the vindication of God and that um, for God to be truly vindicated, we must love him. The only way God can be vindicated is if we respond to his love by loving him. Otherwise, he's not vindicated in his love and he is and the devil is 
is right and God is a fool for loving us if people refuse to love him back. But in the beginning, John, Gospel, verse 1, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So life inside of man equals light. So we're living, and when you're alive, you're living in an enlightened state. You have a life is light. And he was, he was, um, let's see, um, verse five. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness didn't get it. It couldn't snuff it out. That comprehend word means two different things to snuff out or to comprehend or get something, understand it. So the darkness wasn't able to put it out and it didn't, it wasn't able to stop the light, but it didn't allow people to recognize the light. So then it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The man came for a witness to bear witness to the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness to that light. That was the true light that gives light to every man who comes into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came unto his own, his own did not receive him. So in other words, God, the God of light, made the world, gave life to man, enlightened us, and then the devil put us to sleep. Put it like sleeping beauty. He put us to sleep. We're sleeping, not any awareness of the evil, the spiritual warfare, the wickedness, the destiny, the prince, nothing. We are sleeping. We are, we're out of it because... We, and we can't respond to God's love. We're, de- we're sleeping. The princess could not respond to the prince's love because she was sleeping. She couldn't go find the prince. She was sleeping. And that same darkness has been upon a stupor that's been upon mankind forever. And only when Jesus Christ comes into our life and lightens us in, and turns on the light, so to speak, do we begin to comprehend the, the huge severity of the spiritual war, the darkness, and the state and conditions. So if you are you're in this condition of being in the dark or semi-dark or uh, not really fully given to your faith, you're, you're believing that you can have your cake and eat it. On it. Um, if you're there, you might want to consider looking more seriously into the word of God and let yourself sit before God until he gives you the heart of a warrior. Only go, go ahead, honey. Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And I know we're talking to people here today that are going through great trials, great difficulties, and, uh, the, you know, looking, God looking is strengthening you. Know, yeah. it, it's, like, it's like one of my grandsons was talking to me about weightlifting. And I said, you know, we talked about starting out slower with certain things so you don't hurt yourself. Start out slow and gradually increase so you can lift more and more and you can get stronger and stronger. So God allows trials and t- attacks and things to come our way. Well, whether, or as you mentioned about you know family or other people or other situations, just battles in your mind or addictions or whatever you got going on. It's interesting, Jeremiah in Jeremiah uh, chapter 12, uh, this is from the Amplified Bible, okay? Uh, 
uncompromisingly righteous and just you are, O Lord, when I complain against and contend with you. Yet let me plead and reason the case with you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are all they at ease and thriving who will be very treacherously and deceitfully? We can certainly say that about what's going on in our mm-hmm. world today. Yep, it looks that way. You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bring forth fruit. You are near in their mouths, but far from their hearts. But you, O Lord, know and understand me and my devotion to you. You see me and try my heart toward you. O Lord, pull these rebellious ones out like sheep for the slaughter and devote and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long must the land mourn and the grass and the herb and, and herbs of the whole country wither through the wickedness of those who dwell in it? The beasts and the birds are consumed and are swept away by the drought because men mocked me, saying, he shall not live to see our final end. Now, this is Jeremiah's complaint. Lord, it's really tough. Mm -hmm. It's tough for me personally. It's tough for our nation. Here's what's going on. And God says, verse 5, but the Lord rebukes Jeremiah's impatience, saying, if you have raced with men on foot, and they have tired you out. How can you compete with horses? And if you take to flight in the land of peace, where you feel secure, what will you do when you tread the tangled maze of jungle haunted by lions in the swelling and the flooding of the Jordan? He's saying, okay, if you can't take, I know things are tough, but if you can't take this now, guess what? More difficult times are coming. So if you can't stand now, how will you stand in the future? Mm-hmm. But the only way we can stand mm-hmm. is to be strong in, in the Lord, mm-hmm. in the power of his might. Stand for truth. No. Stand for righteousness. Stand for his glory. And the only, only way we can do that is to know that we are loved and to know that God is with us and to know that his word is true and that he is not what they have made him out to be. Remember in the book of Job, at the very end, God said to Job, pray for your friends because they have not spoke that which is well concerning me. They had made out all of the calamities that Job was going through to be a result of Job's sin and then indirectly as a result of God's wrath against that sin. That is not what was going, out, going down in the background. Well, the truth was that God is not, did not call for that test. He said, I didn't do this. God is saying, I didn't do this. The devil's trying to make all this messy world look like something God has done. God did not do this. You need to know that God loves you. No matter if you've backslidden or touched the unclean thing and all this other stuff we've been. But remember that every time you go back um, and he says, touch not the unclean thing. Don't retouch it. Every time you reach up again, it re-triggers or restarts the demonic systems of lethargy or stupor or weakness. Um, we have to, um, to know where, who we are um, in order to keep going. We have to know who Christ is. Um, so be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Find people around you who can speak that, who are in eating, not drinking the milk again of the word, but eating the strong word of God. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and, and two, that, you know, God trusts you. One of the savings of uh, uh, a friend of mine that I've known for many years is that when somebody's going through a great trial, he'll say to them, and not just as a, 
you know, a little pat answer, but he says, God is trusting you with something hard. This is all, and it might seem very overwhelming for you right now. And it now. Might, might seem something, honey, too, that we're not used to, obviously. This is new. It's taking a radical st- stand for God. This is what you were built for. This is what you were built by God to do, is take exactly. a radical stand for God, not just, you know, get by and be another cog in some forgotten wheel somewhere. God wants us to be mighty warriors, soldiers, um, Make a name for yourself in the name of Jesus Christ. And that might mean you're going to get some persecution. People point the finger because you're not going to fit into their little paradigm anymore. You're going to stand up, stand your ground, um, and take, you know, take the hits with Jesus. Because the war, the war has already been won. The good news about this war is it's already been won. God has called each of you listening today, each of us, to, to be his be, soldiers. Um, to be mighty soldiers. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we make a big name for ourselves. It's not that we're so strong in ourselves, but we're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we want to make a big name for Jesus Christ. Amen. His and, name um, is the yeah. greatest name well, above all other names. And so we're doing it for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Amen. So you go ahead and read that song. This is an old song written by Isaac Watts. And we close with this today. Ask some very important questions. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace, to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Yes, Father God, we thank you for courage and for imparting courage and a warrior heart to your people who have been sleeping and slothful and sullen and hidden and beat up and wherever they all are. Call us forth out of the caves, out of the cracks and crevices of society. Call forth your people, your soldiers, your mighty ones, your warriors, Lord God, that you have hidden in the palm of your hand all these years. You've hidden them. Now call them up to battle. Call them up for service, Lord God. Call them up to the front of the lines to begin to lead your people and give us a warrior heart that we will not Uh, we overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And Father, we pray your blessing on each one today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. for your soul.